And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this show. I meant to do it in the first hour, and just to be clear, couldn't do the show without them. So America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that <clears throat> excuse me, performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Couldn't do without them. Thank you so very much. Also, I want to say thank you very, very much and hello to our, uh, certainly our listeners in Dallas on 660 AM. And I'm so appreciative also of our listeners in Colorado Springs on AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer, and in Phoenix on 960 AM, The Patriot. If anyone wants to email me, you can always email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Just the name of the show, americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Love to talk to our listeners. If you're watching on Facebook Live, I really appreciate that. I love the comments I get. People send me private messages. They comment. And I'm fine. I love talking about all issues relating to preserving the extraordinary, exceptional idea that is America. Okay. So uh, that business out of the way. This is a cruise to the news. It's a very short segment in the show. And the top story I meant to, to mention before the break that I wanted to hit was that it sounds now like the United States is actually going to withdraw from the United Nations Human Rights Council. Okay. Now, I know in the abstract, you'd think America should be the leading voice in the world for human rights. And we are. We are the leading voice in the world. But the Human Rights Council of the United Nations is so ridiculously biased so to the point of it's not really run by standards. I mean, if you thought about human rights, you think, well, you know, your standards should be, you have, you know, yeah, the basic rules you would assume society would have. Your government doesn't attack and hurt and kill people for no reason. You don't have torture camps in your your country. Your government doesn't, um, I mean, just all the basic things, your basic human rights, the dignity, the right of people to live in freedom, to have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. These are basic things. Well, the Human Rights Council of the United Nations is so absurd. First of all, all by itself, they spend so much time criticizing the country of Israel. The most recent example being the protest along, from the, along the Gaza at the border of the Gaza Strip. And the Gaza citizens, the Palestinians, are sending, they're, they're protesting at the border. They did this right at the time when the United States was opening their new embassy in Jerusalem. Not that those are physically near each other, but there was all that attention in the media to Jerusalem and the United States opening our embassy in Jerusalem. So the Gaza uh, Peninsula, the, the Gaza Strip Palestinians began a protest at the border, which consisted of throwing rocks, throwing um, missiles. They started doing this protest. Now they throw that they send up in the air kites that are burning, like like on kites, like you would might fly at the beach uh, that are burning, and they have they're filled with fuel, and they fall onto and destroy uh, farms. I mean, literally acres of farmland that had crops growing. They built, they burned schools, they burned homes. And so Israel and, and, and the, the protest in particular got more and more violent. And so finally, the Israeli soldiers fired back, being pummeled by, they're being attacked by the protesters. They fired back. So the UN doesn't condemn the people throwing kites that are on fire to land on schools and children and farms and, and homes. They condemn Israel for defending themselves. And this is a one example of literally dozens. And it was, I mean, the numbers they have, I don't have them in front of me, so I'm not going to pretend, but that, but the numbers of of times they have condemned Israel 
for nothing and it is more the total uh, times the UN Human Rights Council has condemned Israel is more than the total they've condemned any other country in the world. And the very extremely brilliant and wonderful Nikki Haley, who is our American ambassador to the UN, wrote a, wrote a great piece. There's a link up to it on our website, americancanwetalk.org. But she basically just talked about the president of Venezuela, whose government shoots protesters in the street. You know, Venezuela, they're still starving to death because they're socialist, starving to death because of that idiotic economic system. The government shoots protesters in the street, but recently thanked the international community for its universal vote of confidence in that country's commitment to human rights. The Cuban deputy foreign minister, whose government imprisons thousands of political opponents, once said Cuba has historic prestige in the promotion and protection of all human rights. And guess what? It's because Cuba and Venezuela are on the Human Rights Commission. So the the Human Rights Commission is a farce. And I just one thing I just love about President Trump, he just doesn't keep doing the farce things. It's a farce. It's not real. It's not about protecting human rights. So I guess this week, um, Nikki Haley or announced and others have announced that we may be withdrawing from the Human Rights Council because if it's not doing its job as a Human Rights Council, what's the point? In fact, our presence on it, our country's presence on that Human Rights Council legitimizes to the world that this is really a respectable organization and it's not. Okay, I meant to say Happy Father's Day at the very outset. I hope all of you are enjoying Father's Day weekend. Happy Father's Day to everyone listening, to those of you who are fathers, those of you who missed your father. My father's gone. Great father, miss him. Grateful for my husband, who was and is a wonderful father to our children. I love America Honors Father's Day. And we're going to run out of time in this segment before I get to any of the rest of my stories in our first five, in my first five of the second hour, my cruise to the news. We come back. I do want to tell you a little bit about uh, what's happening in South Africa. And then we're going to turn to our next happy story, which is about the immigration lies by the left about separating moms from children. Come right back. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. 
The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I just love doing this show every week. It just, you know, it's the fastest two hours of my week. And the hardest thing is to decide what stories to talk about because there's so much happening that isn't just important for our time and our life and our our culture and our freedom, our liberty, but it's important for shaping America's future and making decisions that are not just easy and comfortable and and uh, soft and fuzzy now, but decisions that set in place that are policies that we can live with that under which we can perpetuate the greatness of America. Well, a, a very tough area, um, and you know, there's just been huge news this week about it. Has to do with immigration and you know. Um, problems at the border and problems deciding our asylum policy. And, you know, we were talking earlier about the DACA situation and, you know, what we should do about um, people who arrived in America and don't have legal status and, and how do we handle that. And these are really important issues to have. They're so fraught with, though. They're so just in, it just uh, just overwhelmed by the emotionality of issues and the individual picture painted 
in some cases, and then you say, well, this is terrible. We have to change the whole policy over that. We have to make policy that preserves America, and, and including on this back-to-the-DACA amnesty thing that the House is going to look at this week. You know, what, however it comes out, um, I think that there's a—I uh, think that the Democrats do not want any success in this arena. The Democrats have nothing to run on this fall. They have—they're they're, they're running to raise your taxes. Uh, America is loving the tax cuts. They're loving our economy. They're loving more money in their pockets. They're loving the freedom that having more money in your own pockets gives you. So they don't have an economy to run on. They certainly can't be running on the situation in the world. I mean, Trump has bought the North Korean dictator to the table. He's, he's, you know, we're not counting on it getting done, but he's agreed to denuclearize. He seems to be taking steps along those lines. We have America out of the ridiculous climate change deal and out of the ridiculous Iranian uh, help, let us help you, get, let us give you nuclear weapons deal that Obama did. So people are pretty happy with this presidency. So the one issue that the Democrats are going to try to run on, uh, and they may find others, but they want to try to run on is that the Republicans are cruel about immigration and they're cruel about, especially this DACA thing, these, you know, these people who are here in, in limbo, in legal limbo. They are in legal limbo, but they have an option. The Democrats do right in front of them to take the DACA people out of legal limbo to use the good lap bill and put them in a status where they're not they're not just living in the shadows. They have a legal status. And I can guarantee you the Democrats will never agree to that because they need this issue in the fall. They cannot agree to any deal. So but the other things I want to talk about tonight related to immigration, there were stories this week um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions made a uh, speech in which he basically said that asylum, which is not the same as being a refugee, asylum is not intended, was never intended to allow people to come here who are claim as their reason for seeking asylum to claim they're the victims of domestic abuse. And very tough issue, but I wanted to explain again about the, you know, we have... In America, we have immigration system, a normal a system where people who want to become American citizens can pursue becoming American citizens and they can follow our immigration laws and they can come here and get a green card and they can follow all the rules and eventually apply for citizenship. We also have refugees who come here. Refugees are a different class, a different setup where refugees are coming here. They're fleeing a horrible situation in their countries. And we agree ahead of time before the refugees the particular refugees have arrived. We've agreed as a country, we'll take in this many people, this group, resettle them. We bring refugees here. The third uh, thing is asylum. And asylum has to do with people who make it inside our borders, who don't enter illegally. They're not immigrants and they're not refugees, but they get inside the borders. And when they're here, they seek asylum. And our law and every country's laws are very particular about what asylum is about. An asylum applicant has to establish that he or she fears persecution in their home country. Persecution. Second, they have to show they would be persecuted on account of one of five particular protected grounds, race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or particular social group. And then they have to show they must establish that the government is either involved in the persecution or unable to control the conduct of private actors. So, there was a lot of a hullabaloo this week about uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions' statement, which I meant to have ready to play for you, but somehow I sent Greg the wrong link, so I don't have that to play for you. But he basically said, P- 
people coming to America claiming they're the victims of domestic violence that at the, in their home country, their husband or their live-in partner, whoever, is engaging in domestic violence against them. That is not a ground for asylum. That is a domestic matter law in the state they come from and that we can't, we don't bring people here um, and give them asylum for the uh, reason of domestic uh, violence. And so, of course, the American left, it was such an easy pickings. You know, The View had uh, women just all hysterical about, um, you know, how could we say this? We have to take in people. These poor women are victims. They are victims. And I don't want anyone to be a victim of domestic violence. They need to have the laws in their country enforced by their government. They need to push laws in their country. We can't take in every person in the world who is a victim of domestic violence. This is not what asylum is about. It's not the purpose of asylum. And so that's one issue. There are three separate issues that came up this week. I want to speak about them separately and clearly because there's nothing the left and the media or the Democrat media mob likes better than to lather uninformed people into anger and upset and outrage because they don't have their facts straight. They don't really understand. And, and it's the last thing Democrats and media want you to do is understand the, that they're that what the facts are versus the hysteria they try to uh, engender. So to be really clear, just because you live in another country and you are the victim of domestic violence at the hands of your partner, uh, that does not give you, that doesn't meet America's asylum standard never has is. And, and, only during Obama's presidency and his endless effort to flood America, our, our country, with every conceivable person he could possibly bring here and make them into citizens and make them a Democrat voters to just undermine the core of our country, which is what he was all about. There, there, was, there were some people granted asylum, apparently. I don't know personally, but I, I read that they were granted asylum because of domestic violence. That's not what the, that is for. It's also true that domestic that uh, asylum petitions because we loosened our standards we had fuzzy standards we kind of let more people use asylum as a vehicle to become to come into america than uh really met the standard asylum petitions have mushroomed 1700 percent not like gone up a hundred percent 200% between 2008 and 2016. And this is according to the New York Times, who probably doesn't like to admit such things, so it's probably even bigger. But in that time period, 2008 to 2016, under President Obama, asylum petitions have mushroomed 1,700%. The other problem with domestic violence as your reason for seeking asylum is it's absolutely impossible to investigate. If I come here from a country and I can say my government is persecuting Christians and Christians are being killed in the streets and anybody who can try on the local news or investigate through the State Department or whatever other vehicle we have, go through the U.N. and get information, our government can figure out, oh, it's probably true. That country is engaging in persecution of Christians. There's no way we can, through our asylum process, figure out what the... um, you know, whether these domestic allegations, violence allegations are true. It is not the purpose of it. Second is there was a story floating around that the department, the HHS, um, had lost thousands of children in the unaccompanied alien um, children program, uh, the UAC program, unaccompanied alien children. Someone started saying that our this agency had lost track of thousands of children. Like they came here and just vanished. 
And again, the left gets you hysterical, gets you think we're, we're cruel people, we're not taking care of people. The truth is, and nothing like that happened. And in the uh, HHS put out a statement essentially saying the HHS deputy secretary, secretary named Eric Hargan issued a statement just basically saying, Unaccompanied minors come in. We assign them to various, you no, know, we get them into safe places. They, and then the Office of Refugee Resettlement began making, voluntarily making phone calls in 2016, 2018 as a follow up, in 2016 as a follow up on the release of the UAC to make sure these children are okay, they're in safe homes, blah, blah. And this, what was happening was many of them were placed in homes where the people who took these children in are not legal and aren't going to cooperate and answer any kind of, um, uh, and, and, you know, aren't going to comply with the authorities. They don't want to talk to them. All was happening. They weren't getting calls back. There was no, there was no such a uh, big group of lost children. Uh, the last thing that happened, and I may have to wrap this up in the next segment, but there were stories of women separated from their children at the border, like people crossing our border with no legal right to be here, or seeking asylum. And part of what apparently happened this past week was that some of the children, or more than the past week, children separated from their moms, put far away. Mom's going through asylum. Kids uh, can't find them. And they're, of course, hysterical. To the extent this was really done as a means of deterring asylum seekers, it's not a good thing, and we can't do it. But I wouldn't believe this story off the top of my head. We come back after the break. I'll talk a little more about that, about the idea, what do you do with all these people crossing with the kids? Come right back. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. 
Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and this is America Can We Talk? And, you know, we're talking about America, and we're talking tonight about various things happening in the immigration field and and on the ground near the border. So we were talking earlier about um, the the notion that people coming to America trying to seek asylum and tr- under our under our asylum laws based on domestic violence at home. This this can't be the basis of asylum. I mean, if they want to make a new law about that, then we can debate that. But the notion of having just uncontrolled borders, people flooding in, finding reasons they're able to stay here, it it cannot continue. And this is part of, and it's really interesting because it's kind of an international thing that's happening. It's kind of a reawakening in not just our country, but in Italy and in Germany and and throughout Western Europe, a notion that to preserve your country, to preserve your uh, culture, your country, the idea and value of the concept of citizenship, you have to, you have to f- have laws and impose them and protect them and, and require that people meet them. So we had um, Jeff Sessions, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, got a lot of hot water this week saying we're not going to have the, um, you know, we can't, asylum seekers cannot come here and meet our asylum standard by, by, as they are, um, because they are the victim of domestic violence. Um, that just doesn't meet our law. And, and I, I'll tell you that the other um, kind of big issue that happened this week, and there were stories out um, that related to the apparent conduct of, of American officials at the border, immigration officials, when women would cross the border with small children, separating the mother and the child while the mother's asylum uh, petition was being considered 
and the child is shipped off to some other place and some other place, you know, not to the middle of the desert. I mean, it was shipped off to a place to be taken care of. And there was just outrage on the American left about the idea of young children being separated in testimony. Of course, they can always instantly find a psychiatrist or a psychologist who talks about the trauma. The child would probably rather die at home than be separated from the mother. And the mother is hysterical. And they have this tearful testimony at the, um, at the initial hearing related to asylum. And I don't mean to sound, I, I'm not taunting it because I do think that if it is true that American officials were deciding at the border as a means to discourage people from crossing the border when they have um, and seeking asylum with their small child, that if they were finding out that the children, the mom are being separated and the child sent off, there was one case in particular where the, I think the crossing was in San Diego or in, in California and the child was shipped to some shelter far away. And I can't remember the other state, but, but far away. And so they were just, they were saying, what, what's happening here? I would agree that as using separating child and parent as a deterrent at the border is, is cruel and is not the right choice. I think that America can find but I, I do think, for example, we have to have a um, we, we perhaps could have asylum seekers in some with children in some facility that's right at the border. You say it with a kid. But what really will remedy the problem is, first of all, I, I was reading statistics about this. And this is one of the points that Jeff Sessions was making is it's only 20 percent of asylum seekers who get asylum, meaning people come here and they they say they meet the standard, but they don't. And so we need faster asylum decisions. We need immediately you know, sending people back. If they don't need asylum, they can't just come here. And I think as that word spreads, that America is no longer, the border is no longer porous. We're no longer taking every single person who happens to wander across the border. We're going to begin to enforce our standards. If you want to come to America as a citizen, then start the process now. If you want to try to get here under some visa process, start the legal process. But but we're not we're going we're not going to have and what happens, by the way, with these asylum seekers is that they'll come here and they'll be seeking asylum and they get a faraway date uh, for some hearing. They're told to come back for the hearing, and you can imagine the, the tiny percent who actually do. We can't just have we're we're, we're kind of reasserting we're not going to have a lawless immigration system a standardless asylum system we're going to insist on order and that message being sent to people coming across the border is a tough but vital message if america is going to begin with having going to honor the promise of president trump and frankly republicans who run on it that we're going to have secure borders and meaningful citizenship standards one guy got in trouble this week, and I love that he got really, really nailed for it. A retired general named Michael Hayden, former CIA and NSA chief Michael Hayden, compared the Trump administration's immigration policies to Nazi concentration camps used to murder millions of Jews during World War II. Okay, the guy fortunately got pummeled and, I mean, just eviscerated by by social media, by Twitter, by critics. I mean... The absurdity of that comparison, the idea that even if there was a decision made that shouldn't have been made about separating a mother and child, comparing that to the Nazi concentration camps, 
I mean, the, this is, and this isn't just this guy. I mean, this guy got pummeled, and I'm glad. But there were other people, those, you know, whack job women on The View uh, were doing the same thing, talking about that this was Nazi-like, that we don't just let people come here who are seeking asylum because of domestic violence. I mean, th- this conjuring up of the Nazi image when you're trying to make policy and and turn the corner on the lawlessness of the last eight years. And then you have to have this. This is not, by the way, some goofball in a street corner who, you know, is an Occupy Wall Street person. This is a retired general and very much criticized. And I want to mention on that point of making comparisons to the Nazis. Uh, my husband just finished reading the book, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, A History of Nazi Germany by William L. And think it's Shearer, S-H-I-R-E-R. It's a, I mean, it's a really lengthy book. It's like, you know, four inches thick or something. And he plowed all the way through it. And, you know, this is to begin to understand the level of evil, the, the pervasive, you know, use of random, completely unprovoked, brutal, massive violence throughout a country and throughout Europe and into Russia. The things the Nazis did were just you, you can't even find words to describe. Beyond the pale doesn't begin. And to compare America trying to enforce our borders and to have amnesty pol- or asylum policy that actually means something and have the Nazi, those people should be shut off television. Shut off television. And you shouldn't listen to them, any of them who would talk that way about it. Simply outrageous. Okay. But on the subject, I said a minute ago about the world kind of getting around to this point. Uh, there was a story that was interesting out of... Um, both Italy and Germany, because as we've recounted on this show many times in the last decades, Italy and much of Western Europe has been the recipient of a large influx of Islamic refugees, some fleeing violence, some, I mean, just, you know, for all sorts of reasons, many appearing to be part of the hijra or the use of the use of immigration to uh, commit jihad. But anyway, you know, they're being overtaken. Those countries, I mean, the Western European countries have suffered terror attacks, uh, changes in their culture, uh, women unsafe in neighborhoods, no-go zones created by Islamic refugees who come in and then claim an area and say, no, the police can't come here anymore. We make the laws. This is all happening in Western Europe. And this kind of renewed determination of countries to have a national identity, a national culture. It isn't just happening in America. Italy, as I think I was telling you last week on the show, or maybe on my podcast. Oh, yeah. I have a podcast every Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time on the same Facebook page, America Can We Talk, every Wednesday at 3. You'll love it. Tune in. I put them up on our YouTube channel, which is also a stellar YouTube channel, America Can We Talk. But I think I was talking about this, how Italy has a new, had new elections and a new uh, leader who's saying, we are not going to be the refugee uh, dumping ground for Europe. And so they are beginning to turn away boats showing up at the harbors in southern Italy and saying boats full of refugees. And frankly, many of the pictures you see, you would think that women and children are fleeing because the violence is so bad. But that's not who's in the boats. It's young fighting age men who, as I've had guests in the show point out, maybe ought to be thinking about being home defending their homeland. I mean, you, you kind of wonder, I don't wonder, you know that some of these young men are not coming to just flee from uh, violence or coming to create violence in their host country. So Italy is now turning boats away. They're following up what they said. 
You were going to stop having refugees land here. And then Merkel, Angela Merkel, leader of Germany, I think she's been reelected four times. That could be incorrect, but she's been there a while. Angela Merkel now has a fight on her hands because she's in a coalition government. And one, her interior minister, Horst Seehofer, who is her interior minister, is calling for Germany to turn back at its border migrants who have registered as asylum seekers in other European countries. If you recall, we talked about this as one of the other criteria almost every country has for asylum, which is if you're real, really fleeing persecution and you've been through three other countries on your way to our country, go back to the first country that you got to. If you're fleeing persecution, you get to the first country and you become an asylee there. You don't keep making your way to the one you really wanted because then you're not really an asylum seeker. And so I'm going to talk about more when we come back from the break. But Angela Merkel has a fight in her hands with her own interior minister about immigration. It's great stuff. Come right back. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to firstliberty.org now. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with Five Talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. 
Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I just love talking to you every single Sunday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time. Love talking to you in Facebook Live. And I want to encourage you again, first of all, follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. You can always email me at AmericaCanWeTalk at gmail.com. I love talking about America. I love talking about preserving our precious, extraordinary, just you know, irreplaceably wonderful country. Um, and so we were talking before the break, and I want to wrap up this topic about the um, challenge with respect to immigration and asylum and refugee policy and what's happening in Europe. I think there is in the human heart, and in America especially, we've always had a heart for wanting to help those who are in need. We have in this country, we have we're, you know, the most generous country on earth by a landslide. Every single time it's ever measured our country, we're generous within our country to each other as well as generous in the world. America is a good and noble country, and we, and, and we have been since our inception. What's happening now is the, the kind of the, lax, the laxity, the failure to have clear standards, clear uh, that we applied at the border, failure to have border security, failure to have a clear a, a refugee policy that protected America, failure to have immigration policy that had enforceable borders. And then the, the in the last in the eight years under President Obama, just an extremely lax application of the asylum standard. So basically the message is sent, everybody can come here. And we're finding in America that we need to have a return to the rule of law, a return to the idea of order, a return to a system that actually follows the law and is not just a, um, you know, is not just uh, kind of the America being everyone's welcome and everyone knows it and you can always come here and, and everyone will be accepted. They're just, they're, there's a need to have a standard. So um, I want to wrap this up and I want to hit something about Harvard and, um, and no Asians need to apply. Unbelievable what Harvard's doing. But before I get there, 
uh, on this one. I think that it is. So what's happening in Italy is they have become, they're having the same problem. Much of Western Europe is an, an influx of Islamic refugees, some of whom are actually fleeing violence and, and are frightened and want to come. Many of whom, when they arrive in various of these uh, Western European countries, do not wish to assimilate. Uh, there's been major, um, you know, violence problems, terrorism problems, um, problems of creation of no-go zones, which the uh, Angela Merkel, as a good example, the leader of Germany, denied, looked right in the camera and said, oh, no, what are you talking about? We don't have no-go zones. And frankly, because Raheem Kassam, the British writer who grew up Muslim, um, and now I think he's atheist, but in any case, he went around to all the no-go zones in the Western European uh, countries, wrote a book called No-Go Zones, Coming to a Neighborhood Near You, and Angela Merkel had to acknowledge, okay, so we really do have these. So there's just a re, there is a reimmersion or a resurgence of the idea that you can claim the culture of your country. It's not evil Nazi nationalism. It's just love of your country and the idea that your culture of liberty, your culture, your laws are going to be applied, and that you're going and that includes laws at your border. So anyway, um, it's an interesting thing uh, ongoing in um. And, and we'll have to follow it, what happens in Germany, because Angela Merkel is being challenged by the guy who's her interior minister. She can't just ignore him because he's part of her coalition government. She could fire him, but then she's really got a problem on her hands if she can hold together her coalition. Uh, and he's basically saying uh, these people coming here and claiming asylum when they don't really meet our standards and they've been through three other countries on the way here, they need to go back. And she's saying no, and I, I'm going to tell you, I'm pretty sure the polling is with him, the interior minister, saying, no, actually, we, we just we don't have to just open our, you know, surrender our country to anyone who wants to come here. We can hold on to the fabric of our country. Okay, last topic tonight, and this is a, a big topic change, but it's really it, it's just such an interesting topic. And I think the last several weeks I kept thinking I would get to this story and I didn't get to do it. So. Um, I, in my other life, before I got the fun of being a radio host, I used to, and, and before I was a stay-at-home mom, which is also a fun job, um, I also had the job. I was an attorney in California, and I represented um, businesses in employment-related disputes. So litigation, you know, representing businesses, dealing with a, pro, a challenge uh, with a, in a former employee. And so I learned some things that are kind of apply to what I want, the story I want to talk about, which is Harvard is being sued by a group um, representing Asian applicants, Asian American applicants, and basically saying that the university scores them. So when they apply, you know, they have all sorts of things that students have to show. I'm sure that, you know, test scores and, you know, the, the, you know, the college admission test scores, their high school grades. Uh, then they have all sorts of other factors, you know, um, just to say they weigh them on a bunch of things to try to get a diverse group. Well, Harvard and all of the Ivy Leagues are just, you know, knock down, drag out, committed to racial and ethnic diversity. It's, it's their thing. But in a federal court filing, in, in, I mean, this is making me laugh. On Friday in Boston, lawyers for the Student Group Association asserted that while Harvard has a bias against Asian Americans, it also shows a disproportionate preference for black and Hispanic students. And it says what Harvard will not admit, and this group is called Students for Fair Admission, is that race 
is not only an important factor, it is the dominant consideration in admitting Hispanics and African-Americans. So they're saying Harvard says Hispanics and African-Americans, the dominant consideration when you apply is your race or ethnicity. And Asian student, um, an Asian-American applicant with a 25% chance of admission, for example, would have a 35% chance of admission if he were white and a 75% if he were Hispanic and a 95% if he were African-American. If you didn't follow that, they're saying Asian-American students are being dis... They're failing to be admitted to Harvard because they're Asian-American, that the exact same application would get them into Harvard um, an increasing rate, 30, they have better, oh, they only have a 25% chance of admission if they are Asian American, same resume, you know, same um, applicant, 35% if they're white, 75% if they're Hispanic, and 95% if they're African American. And then, so, uh, which is just interesting, they also were throwing out that, um, throwing in that part of what's happening in Harvard is um, there is a, uh, a factor they put into these applications. And I'm trying to find, they have a, the whole person admissions process. And so they are, um, the, Harvard is defending itself. And uh, by the way, Harvard fought very hard in this litigation to uh, have the court rule that they didn't have to tell their application criteria, that they wouldn't ever have to reveal to the court uh, what their application criteria uh, is. They lost, and they had to uh, discuss it in court. They had to acknowledge what it was. But um, part of what they were talking about is Harvard is consistently rating Asian-American applicants lower than any other race on personal traits like positive personality and widely respected or likability. And I'm, what I'm getting at is this. Because Harvard doesn't want to admit that it is discriminating basis based on ethnicity, on Asian-Americanness. So they are, when they get these applicants and they're assessing them, they're dumbing down, they're giving them bad scores on things that are not measurable, that are not tangible, that are, that you just, I mean, how could you argue this? That, uh, that person is not likable. How can you answer that? So, what I mentioned earlier that I did labor and employment litigation was this was one of the arguments that many plaintiff's lawyers would make when a minority person would be terminated and you'd go to the company and say, why was so-and-so fired? And they would have things that were not measurable or tangible as their answer, like bad attitude. Well, you can't, you know, you can't measure bad attitude. You could, and, and you know, it's it's true that if you were, trying to point out a reason that someone was let go and it wasn't, you didn't really have objective criteria, you might be saying, well, I, I can't, I can't characterize it, but it was a bad attitude. But that was also, it, it is a means by which you could discriminate. So Harvard, who's just, you know, always got their nose up in the air is how, how they're, you know, very much above the, the country in their uh, fairness and their advancement of people of color is facing the reality that their own, um, problem that, that they are now engaged in conduct that is, is going to embarrass them. And it kind of relates to the last story, just a couple of minutes, but there's a similar problem happening, similar issue in New York City. Michelle Malkin wrote a great piece about it. But in New York City, they have these really elite public schools, specialized schools, Bronx High School of the Science, Brooklyn Technical High School, 
uh, high school for math, science, and engineering at City College. And in those very competitive public school, excellent schools, they have a, an application process, which ex- includes an, ap- an entrance exam. So entrance exam, uh, the results of entrance exams over the years have been that many more Asian Americans qualify to be admitted to these schools, a higher percentage of Asian Americans than Asian Americans in the population of New York City. And so consequently, of course, fewer black and Hispanic students do as well. or They are underrepresented in the population at these schools. And so they, have, they already have a 20% minority set aside, but the, but the state of New York is so upset about the fact that Asian Americans are consistently scoring better, that they want to change the standard. They want to eliminate the application, the the entrance exam. Instead of what you want to do is inspire students of every background, race, and ethnicity to become better students, to learn how to test take, to be able to perform better on the test. They're saying instead of having the standard, let's just abandon the standard and go straight out by race, ethnicity, and national origin. This is the mindset of the left. And Michelle Malkin's making the point that Asian Americans within New York City, many are impoverished. It's not poverty that is causing other students to not do well. She's saying Asian Americans perform well on the test because they have the lessons of diligence, work hard, they're, they're pushed by their parents, pushed by their community to achieve and exceed and excel, and they are among the poorest, among many of them, in New York City. And so this is just an interesting test for America. How do we, what do we want to do in a situation like this when you have Asian Americans, which uh, to me, God bless them, if the students are doing well, especially if they're poor, and they can do well on a test and get admitted to a great school, we got to let the kids who do the best. And folks, I'm out of time. I can hardly stand it. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk. Come back to Facebook Live every Sunday and come back on Wednesdays, 3 p.m. to Facebook Live. Talk to you then. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to americacanwetalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America.